This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Hey, are you enjoying the light of all these glistening particles and want more? I've set up a Patreon page where you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month and get even more unique and new content. You'll find things like the bi-weekly pie series, which is super new, chat forum, live hangout sessions, even co-hosting opportunities, and more. There are so many rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash glistening particles. Literally every subscription helps. Thank you for supporting my passion and allowing these stories to be shared far and wide. In this episode, I'm talking with Paul Averill from Australia, and we did a little turnaround. So Paul had me on his show a while back on The Man Bits. Hope you got a chance to listen to that. It was kind of fun, definitely being on the other end of the podcast interview process, but also just a really great chance to share some insight into life, I guess. So Paul has a great podcast and does a lot of cool work helping people, and I think you'll really enjoy his story. With that, here's Paul. Hey, listeners, we're doing a little bit of a tradeo here. Um, Paul Averill had me on his, or he had me as a guest on his podcast, The Man Bits, a while back, and now he's coming over here to talk with me. So hey, Paul. Hey there, Jane. Great pleasure to be here. So love the fact that we can trade. I know. It's the tr- radio tradio kind of thing, but in podcast world. Yeah. And I love it that we're both working. Uh, we're at our mics. We've got our like, what do you call these things? Screens lined up in front of our mic. We look super pro and it's kind of a different world recording this way. And we are in opposite ends of the earth. I'm in Wisconsin in the United States in the Northern Hemisphere. And you are? I'm in Adelaide, Australia, Southern Hemisphere, so essentially upside down compared to you. <laughs> and we're talking over the internet with a, from a wire that's going somewhere under the sea. It's just amazing, isn't it, the world today? I thought, I thought it all just beamed down from space. Okay, maybe it it's doing that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, you, it's funny because I don't think I warned you about this ahead of time, but I have a new little fun game I play where I ask I either ask for random facts or I have really random questions, and this time for you... I have random questions, and weirdly enough, one of them has to do with space and under the sea, so this will be fun to see that come up. Okay. (laughs) I guess that's fair because in my podcast, when you joined me as a guest, I threw a few curly questions at you, so (laughs) it's only fair you flying back at me. Turnaround is fair play, right? (laughs) So let's start with what your passion is because I think it's... uh, I don't know if it's one thing or just sort of a thread of many things. Where where do you want to go with that? Well, you're right. It is a thread of many things. And I think the journey to get there was not a straight one. There was many distractions and 
lots of detours along the way. <laughs> I think my passion at the moment is definitely around the the mind health, physical health arena. That's where it's fallen. Yes, you mentioned the Man Bits podcast, which is my podcast, and we maybe talk a bit more about what that's about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've noticed that uh, in more recent years, well, the one question I ask on my podcast of everyone is, how do you do what you love and love what you do? Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask that is because I asked it of myself, and the, and the answer I had at the time was, well, I don't really do what I love. Ah. Uh, I was working in I've done many jobs, but I was at the time working in corporate and um, as a business trainer. And I love training. I love call it, uh, I love content, knowledge, and education. But the whole sort of corporate world wasn't really flicking my switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I made a leap of faith. I got qualified in remedial massage, which means I can work with people one-on-one, physical health. And through that job, realized that it wasn't just about physical health. It's a holistic communication you have one person in the room with you it's quite an intimate you know environment Mm -hmm. when you're helping somebody with physical pain they come in with physical pain or stress and i realized that for many and in my case for in regards to the podcast it was men mostly had a lot of emotional pain going on Mm -hmm. and i saw that there was a opportunity for me to help more people rather than one-on-one i can help more people and that's where the podcast kind of was born um and it is directed at men, but it's definitely for everybody. I think that mind health, mental wellness is absolutely for everybody. Uh, but I'm a man and, and you know, I relate <laughs> to men in that way. So I know what we think and how we think. So it, it's helped me in that way in, in bringing about content, <clears throat> bringing about education and content for people that may help them lead a better and more positive life. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that that's actually for everybody. I, One of the things I love is insight into understanding men because I don't understand them 99% of the time and I live with them. You know, I have sons and all that and it's just constantly this mystery to me of what are you thinking? And so for me, anywhere I can gain insight into what's going on in their brains is a good thing. It's kind of like when the guys sometimes want to look at Cosmopolitan magazine, you know, it's just to kind of understand what are women thinking about. It's kind of like that only at a much deeper level. So I I would recommend anybody listening to your show um, because it does bring forward some really great issues and understanding, and that's really important. So when you've been doing massage, um, do you find that as you're working on people, they start to open up and talk about their emotions or their, you know, the issues that they're carrying that are more uh, in their mind versus in their bodies, even though they carry them in their bodies? That's what you're working out. But do you find that? Um, I take quite a clinical approach in the clinic, in the massage environment. So I'm sort of more of a sports remedial massage therapist in that I use dry needling, I use trigger point and so on. But that said, I do take a holistic approach to the body. I don't just try and fix the problem that they come in with. And so, yes, I think it's up to the individual. Sometimes you're working with somebody closely and you know there's something going on for them that's deeper mm-hmm. than just physical pain. Right. And I'm, one, it's out of my scope to ask, but also um, it's up to them as to whether it's appropriate for them to release that. But some people do sort of let me know what's going on. It's a lot about building that rapport with, and trust. It's a confidential environment, so it's a great place for people just to outpour what's going mm-hmm. on. Most often it's just um, having a conversation and talking mm-hmm. and some people just get such relief from just talking to a person who's not 
biased to their life or situation right. and I'm able to just talk through what's going on for them. And I don't, I don't ever try and give advice. I just ask questions just like the podcast. I'm not a professional. Mm -hmm. I'm not a psychologist or counselor. I just ask questions of my guests like yourself and, and I'm the conduit for information. And, and that's sort of what I do in the clinic as well. I have found that women tend, tend to be better at talking it out than guys. A lot of guys will come in, especially the footy players. Like in Australia, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's quite a, you know, oh, it's every country. It's not just Australia, but there's that macho, ma masculine. Right. Well, it's a conditioning that we think we need to be mm. stoic in right. the way that we are. And, and so sometimes guys will come in and, and not say a word for an hour uh, because they feel that that's the only place they can go is silence. Hmm. Uh, the reality is that they're screaming out to talk mm -hmm. in most cases. And so it's a great environment to do it. Not everybody, everybody does, but over time, uh, treating somebody every few weeks or every week or whatever, people do start to open up and they really, mm -hmm. they, find, they find profound results. It's great. Well, and you're building relationships with them and building the trust. So it probably takes time for some people who are, who take longer to trust, but I think it's a great place to to start. So what have you learned? Like what, what have you learned from working with people that you have learned more insight about yourself? Have there been any situations like that where it's helped you see yourself more by just hearing them speak? That's a great question because selfishly, with the podcast, for example, I use that podcast for <laughs> my own learning. You know? It's like my therapy. And so, um, people who uh, I'm learning from people on the table by sort of seeing what they're going through and in a way recognizing that those triggers in myself uh -huh. you mentioned tr you mentioned trust and I took years to trust anybody from throughout my youth I mean I didn't just wake up one day and suddenly felt self-aware and emotionally stable and and full of love for myself you know that took years of work because years back in my youth <clears throat> I didn't really trust anyone. I couldn't open up to anybody. Mm. And I felt that that absolutely was a barrier to me uh, living a more fulfilled life. And it was just you know, bad relationships, poor health, self-sabotage, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so the trust side of thing, I think, is really important. And um, that's what it showed me that if you actually, if you give somebody trust, Mm -hmm. uh, they will reciprocate. And mm -hmm. if you show somebody vulnerability, they will absolutely reciprocate. Mm -hmm. You mm. know, where, do you know where that um, non-trusting came from? If you feel like sharing that, I know that's probably kind of personal. I, I absolutely do know where it came from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, it took self-work, I think, to, you know, self-development to find that out, you know, as a journey. Okay. Um, I think I know where it is. <laughs> If I look right back, I've done a number of courses, and if I look way back, I usually find that we take meaning from an event in our childhood, generally. That's how mm -hmm. it works. And the events for me were around my mum and dad split up. When I was very young, I was five. So, and my dad was great. You know, he wasn't living with us, but he was, you know, all good. But we didn't really connect as mm. I would have loved to, you know, as mm. what I think I would like to be as a father I didn't quite get there mm -hmm. because he's from a generation that didn't really open up right. uh, or, or show affection you know too much uh, he didn't he never really said I'm proud of you or, or I love you which as a boy you, that's all you want from your father you want that validation right mm -hmm. um, but the trust thing I think sort of 
through that was in school and I had uh, generally a good group of friends. If, have you ever heard of the, or heard the film or seen the film The Inbetweeners? I think I have, but refresh my memory. It like sounds totally familiar. Well, it's a British comedy about four delinquent teenagers who just they're the in-betweeners. They're not quite top of the class. They're not the worst in the class. Uh-huh. They're not the bully. They're not the victim. They're somewhere in between. Yeah. You know, you know uh, I've written a note here. Hold on. Yeah, so they just they just get through without being noticed really, uh-huh. in school. And I was I see that I, when I was watching that, I'm like, I was one of them. I was an in-betweener. And we had a group of us who we used to hang out and I had one really good friend. We were great friends for many years throughout school. But every few weeks, he would just completely turn on me and turn all my friends against me and essentially betray me. Mm -hmm. And when you have a friend at school and that's confusing social hierarchy of of the teenage years, that's all you're looking for is somebody to trust. And Mm -hmm. he would the trust was there and then he would smash it down. And I kept going back. You know, we kept kind of going back to become friends and then it um betray me again and it was just um really and dysfunctional right i mean that's yeah that's tough i don't know why we break each other so much when we're kids i mean i had like i i naturally trust people and i think i've been that way for a really long time and if you look at my my upbringing with my parents and all that my family that makes sense but i had a couple of really brutal events that would make me would wouldn't make sense that it would be like why does she trust people after that but also I had the friend thing where my friends were um they were just mean to me you know they were like they wanted to hang out with me because I had a car and I had you know these things and that those things but then they would just dump me out somewhere if there were boys that wanted to hang out with just them they would be like we'll see you later they don't want you here Mm. okay well Awesome. I'll walk home from here, you know? Yeah. And so we just sort of endure it. Yeah. And I, and I guess, so I totally get that, but I wish we could figure out how to teach our next generations not to do those things, not to break each mm. other, you know, because I think we do it to each other. And then as we evolve and find ourselves to this point in our lives, you know, wherever we are and we, we get it, now we're okay. And we, and for people who were doing the breaking, we kind of regret it. Like, oh my gosh, I bet they're mm. sorry that they did that. So I wish we could figure out how to, stop breaking people you know i look back and i'd like to i mean the guy i'm talking about we haven't really spoken since school you know not for any particular reason other than that there was no need right and but i would like to ask him you know what his childhood was like because we never talked about that when we were kids Mm -hmm. i look back and i sort of think about when i used to meet him before school and i think the poor guy i know his he had a hard time as a kid him and his sister they didn't have a great time and i think some of that psychological I don't know if it was abuse, but it was psychologically damaging right. stuff that I heard in his household. I know that must have affected who he felt he was. And so he acted out in that way. You know, right, was, right. Like you don't want so it to be too good. Me. Like they're they're afraid if it gets too good, it's going to disappear or something like that. So maybe it was more about that or having to try mm. to prove to like put other people down to feel better. Yeah. All of that stuff. Yeah. That was what sort of, I think that was where it really embedded itself. And I came out of Mm -hmm. school with a somewhat, a bit of anxiety, definitely a lack of self-worth. I I didn't let people in, especially guys. And um, through my 20s, I just dosed. I just didn't, I don't know if you use the word dosed. It just means it didn't do much. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll try to use that word though. I'll use that now. (laughs) Jobs that weren't fulfilling, you know, jobs that, 
uh, weren't really adding any value to the world. I was definitely um, self-sabotaging and, and self-medicating, uh-huh. um, which I called partying at the time. <laughs> and we, we do it, 20s, you know, self-medicating. Uh, yeah, so that, it was really when I realized that that wasn't working anymore. I was like, something's got to change here. Right. Something has to change. And so what? I started Go learning. Ahead. So now that marijuana is becoming legal in a lot of states in the United in the U.S., we can call it self-medicating again. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, and that's it's all right. okay. Mm-hmm. It's all okay. The, the issue there is that that's, that became a habit for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you nail on the head there. It was it was mostly uh, the weed, and it became a habit that I saw as a social habit. And I thought, yeah, this is great. It's fine. But then there was one day I was standing outside my house, and this was in my late twenties, I think. And smoking a joint. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no one around me. Everyone had gone, just me. Right. And I realized. <laughs> a party of this one. This isn't a party <laughs> of one. This is not social. Why am I doing this? And it sort of dawned on me that it wasn't so. It wasn't a social habit. It was a habit. It was an mm-hmm. addiction. And I had to sort of drop it. So if, legal or not, whether I'm using it for um, medical purposes, I'm, I have to leave it alone because it became an addiction. So mm-hmm. it's something I left left back in the day and created a new addiction of positive living. <laughs> wow, that's really terrible. <laughs> that's awesome, yeah. though. That's awesome that you were able to recognize that and turn it around. I think that uh, not everybody does have that happen. So I'm curious about this because I like the idea of leaving, not that I'm going to leave my job soon, but leaving corporate world and doing what I love. How did you manage like financially to make that shift? Was it a big change that way or was it not really a big change for you? It was a big change because we, my wife and I, we have property investment and we've sort of got a bit of a portfolio going, a moderate portfolio, which is serviced by the properties, but you always like to have that secure income mm-hmm. on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I struggled to let go of. So I had to transition. I had to spend because it's massage. I could fit it in around you know evenings, weekends, and so on to sort of see if it was my thing, mm-hmm. but also start to build a client base and so on. And and it it was really uh, I had to work a lot of hours in that transitional period. And then my mentor and now person I work with, Cindy, uh, she said. At some point, you've got to step off into the uncertainty. You've got to step forward into the uh, with faith and mm-hmm. leap into faith and mm-hmm. just go, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go, and it will work itself out. And this was way back before I started the podcast or anything. And now if I look back at that, I, sh- I don't know why I didn't do it years before. You know? Wow. It was how, fear holding me back. How long were you doing uh, both before you just – Probably. Yeah. Probably – two years because of the qualification and starting work and, and so on and so forth. I'm very fortunate because my wife works as well. So we had that extra income at the time. We didn't have kids. So there was that flexibility there. I could take the hit and Pascal was very accommodating to allow me to do that. So, um, and still is because I work 20, 25 hours a week in massage and the rest of the time I'm working on the property and I'm working on the podcast, which, um, you know, isn't bringing a, a massive income at this stage. So she's, She's still working full time. The goal is to get us to both not working. <laughs> not working <laughs> at retirement. all? Or, oh, nice. nice. Always working, but working in something that we want to do. Right. Oh. And love to do. Nice teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the podcast. Let's talk about how that started out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a pleasure to do the podcast. As you would know, there's great. Mm-hmm. I think it was your words, actually. You said, 
it fills my buckets. <laughs> oh, definitely. And it really does. Yeah. It's it my really happy does. place. It's my happy place. I mean, you said it too on this one that you learn from people on your show, and that's pretty much what I do. I feel like it's my own little personal, you know, YouTube channel of things that I want to learn about. <laughs> Exactly. Like I, I keep asking people who are doing things I, I'm interested in. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that thing. Like I just had a a neuroscientist last week and I was so such a fangirl. I could hardly contain myself for the first five minutes. So yeah, it was fun. <laughs> That's the great thing about it. And I always come off of an interview just buzzing and, and feeling yeah. really um, alive, you know, and, and, and learned. So the podcast like I said, from the massage, I recognized that there was something missing for guys. I wanted to create something that was helpful for, for blokes, for men, for fellas to connect better, to connect with their partners, their friends and so on and build that gap between mm -hmm. the stoicism and true love and connection, which I think is what everyone wants. Mm -hmm. And so um, first we were throwing names around, better man, beta man, you know, trying to debunk the myth of the alpha male. And then Pascal just went, the man bits. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love because like listening particles, it has all these question marks when people see it. They're like, what is that about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The man bits, one of my guests said it's, it's, it's obviously got its sort of, it's a comedic value, but it's, <laughs> there are a lot of bits to men. There are a lot of parts to men and, mm -hmm. and men are as emotional what i find is through my interviews and a lot of what i talk about is things i've learned from the podcast mm. men are emotional just as much as women are and we all go through that same emotion yet somehow we try and put it away somewhere and we can't just talk it out but on the flip side is and one of my guests even said this you couldn't go out and ask a guy out for coffee to talk about your feelings. He wouldn't say, hey, man, do you want to go out for coffee? I need to talk about my feelings. You, right. know, you just don't. Right. And probably women don't too. But what we do do really well is we share information and we and we learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And I think by sharing stories, and I think that's one thing I wanted to bring with the podcast, is people can listen to the story of a person, their journey, their adversity, but also learn from what they how they got through that adversity. Mm -hmm. So I interview people who are um, subject matter experts like psychologists and uh, anger management therapists, trauma therapists, but also uh, best-selling authors, influencers, leaders in industry, and people who've just been through a journey. You know, I've talked about child abuse and um, bullying, mm -hmm. and psychological abuse, and bipolar, and just these and men, men's health is a huge spectrum and there's a lot you can do within that. So from the mental wellness side of it, we also talk about physical health and financial health because mm -hmm. that's really huge. I mean, I, I try and, I'm trying to create an online course for pro early property investment because we don't learn that stuff at school. You know, why don't they teach us financial education, how to budget, how to invest, how to set up a mortgage, how to pay your bills, how, you know, no, you don't learn that at school. You learn maths. Right. I totally agree. You know, there's a big movement going on right now about really changing what we teach kids in school. I mean, there, there's been movements for a long time, but I think it's getting a swell of momentum. And part of it is we focus so much on teaching children to memorize facts, but we don't teach them to be innovative or imaginative or um, dissect something like not well besides the frogs but I mean like take a problem and problem solve something in a way that could be unique for every student you know those are the kind of things in real life that we need to know how to do and 
in my generation, I think we just got more of that based just the way that we were parented. But um, mm. I know even for the way I parented my own children, I just problem solved for them. You know, I didn't make them problem solve. And I'm reversing that with my second one now. So he's he's getting <laughs> what he calls, <laughs> hey, it was way easier for Sam. Why do I have to do it the hard way? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> trust me, you're going to be thankful for this because these are the things that will give you those life skills. So um, yeah. it's good that you're talking about those things. And you're right. We do. Mm. I still struggle with what should be simple, like budgeting. I still struggle with mm. that in my life. Why didn't exactly. I learn that? Like left and right and up and down. Why didn't I learn, you know? debits and credits and all of that <laughs> yeah that's right and profit and loss and, and balancing and a strategy of investment that kind of thing but the other thing you just mentioned there was about parenting and that's another thing we fall out of school and stumble into being parents mm -hmm. and, and suddenly you find yourself responsible for another and bad as kids we look at uh, adults as kids we look at adults and think they've really got it together i want to be an adult mm -hmm. and then when you become an adult, you go, wow, nobody's really got it together. I wish I was a kid again. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah. I was saying that yeah, the other day, like I thought my parents knew everything until I was about 16. Then I thought they knew nothing. And then I became an adult and I went, holy crap, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so the platform of the podcast is to try and help bridge that gap. And we've really, I'm really so proud of it. And there's a great book called The Slight Edge, Jeff Olson, which talks about little incremental change every day, little incremental goals each day, which build to a longer and bigger goal that might not be tangible at the beginning. The vision of the podcast is reduce suicide among men globally, which is you know almost intangible, really. Mm -hmm. now, how am I? How am I going to see how I'm, uh, I'm helping men? But the small things we do every day, which is put out the content, the feedback I get from people listening as to how it's helped them and people mm -hmm. sharing the content, that kind of thing, is my feedback mechanism. And, and um, so it is making that big change. And we've just been contracted to go onto a major airline in their in-flight entertainment, which is what? just phenomenal. Yeah. So it's <gasps> going to be sitting. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's really cool. So that's that's slight edge you know that's that i didn't expect that and took a took a few steps that would have led towards it without even realizing the outcome and then suddenly boom i'm i'm going to be on in-flight entertainment which is just massive so um really proud of the the podcast and i can't see it ending soon you know i'm just going to keep doing right. it i'll try and fit it fit, despite despite be the fact that uh, we're expecting a, an addition to our family in December that's going oh. to probably throw absolute chaos into the whole world, so into our lives. So we'll see uh, how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations, by the way. How exciting. A new baby. New, and Thank I warned you, you already, Sagittarius, get ready. I know what they're like. <laughs> Ex exciting is one word I'd use. <laughs> Terrifying is another. <laughs> you know, that's actually a really... Um, common thing like women get really excited when a baby's coming we don't think terrifying even though you know we have to go through that whole birth thing um, we don't think about that until like the you know two weeks before it's about to happen for the most part but men are instantly i think from the people i've talked to terrified because now they know they have to care like be responsible financially i mean that's the where the man head goes right like 
I need to get, provide for this baby now. Yeah. Whereas women, at least in my experience, think more about I need to nurture this baby and keep it alive. You know, it's not as much about the provide for. Is that what you find is terrifying or just overall? It's somewhat the provide, but uh, I think being so fortunate as to having done all the episodes with the show, I've learned so much about myself through that uh -huh. in, in that the provide hat, let's say, is just one part of a guy and we all most guys will go there because that's the easiest thing to do is right. to go and just work really really hard and think that just providing money for the family and keeping a roof over the head is the way to support kids but actually what they really need yes they need a roof over their heads but they really need love and connection and mm -hmm. affection from a father i think that's so important so I'm seeing that my role is, yes, I am still terrified, but I'm, I'm, my <laughs> role is I'm going to play a bigger role in you know, talking with my kids and, and, and connecting with them on an authentic level and teaching them to be self-aware. You know, right. The other thing about school, not learning in school, is emotional intelligence, self-awareness. I think to know that from a young age is, is gold. So right. teach, teach them a bit about how to self-analyze, you know. Right, exactly. You know, I just had a guest on Jenny Halzor, I think this last episode, and she, or actually, so it would have been early June, and she uh, talked a lot about how she and her husband talk, you know, really authentically with their three boys about various things. Like they don't just go, here's what we do. This is what, this is what we do here. Here's how we do it. They really talk through to build their conscience and help them understand their place in the world. And I really admire that. And I, I don't think I did enough of that. We did enough of that when our kids were younger. It was sort of like parent talk and kid talk. You know, there wasn't this, let's all talk about what's going on in the school or let's all talk about what's happening in the world on a level that everyone can understand, but still have them have that awareness of the world around them. And I bet you and um, Pascal will be doing that. I have a feeling. Well, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you, that was a really nice way of putting it. And um, with that financial education part, you know, I think most kids or even young adults don't know what their parents earn. And so mm -hmm. even just transparency, this is, you know, when we grow up as kids, like I said, you think that adults have it all together. But right. often they're, you know, struggling financially. But you don't see that as a child. But it's, I think it's right. important that they know what their parents earn. They know what their parents go through and that it's, that right. it's life's not that easy. Because then when they come out into more young adulthood, they don't expect it to be easy. And, right. yeah, it is. It's tough. I mean, especially if everything's just accessible, you know. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I wanted to give up cable because it was insanely expensive. And I just was like, if you really want to watch TV, we can get a Netflix thing and you can watch on your computer. And so when I told my then 14-year-old that, he was like, what? What will we do without cable? How will I survive? You know, which is pretty common around here. Um, and then I said, you know, it costs $260 a month. And he went, that is crazy. Let's get it out of here. And so yeah. actually, I was really proud of him in that moment for him to really look at like, that is crazy. That is insanity. It's absurd. And have him, you know, buy into the decision. So I more often than now all the time actually bring bring the money to the table, the conversation to the table so that he sees the impact of what we're doing and what it's costing. So mm -hmm. 
Hey, I have a question for you about your show. Um, tell me sure. if you can pull out of the out of your head uh, one of the most shocking revelations you had through all of your all of your interviews, or a shocking moment with a guest where you went like, "Whoa, that blew my mind." Well, I would say there's been a couple. <laughs> uh-huh. One of the key ones was around statistics, really, in uh, in terms of abuse, uh, whether for for child child abuse is mm. now the person was in the states and he quoted the stati- statistics from the U.S. One in six boys are sexually uh, abused in some way before eighteen, and one in four girls. That's mm. blew my mind. That yeah. blew my mind. And, um, wow. you know, and the, the fellow I was talking to is Brian Cardoza. He was one of my guests, uh, episode 32. His his story of abuse, you know, started from six to nine. And so that absolutely blew my, blew my mind. It just made me realize that it's how how huge the issue is. And it's, you know, it's not, I think there's something like 70% of abusers were abused. So, you know, it's a really, it's a real root cause that needs to be addressed right. there. Right. And, and, and it's not just about putting them in prison, you know, it's got to be a, there has to be a healing a method of healing for them, you know, so that was huge for me. Wow, it makes me really sad when you say 70% are then abusers after the fact, because that cycle is going to be really hard to break down to slow down if that's really the case. You know, when you first said those numbers, I thought about my two boys, and I'm like looking at, you know, adding up them up in a group of six and thinking, you know, to my knowledge, they've never been abused. I really don't, you know, I don't have any belief that anything like that ever happened to them. But then I think of like four of their friends, you know what I mean? I try to do them, you know, poke, pick that out. But then I think about it again. And, you know, I talk to a lot of adults. I talk on my show and, you know, get into some pretty uh, personal conversations. And like, I can count on my hand, like three men I know who were abused as children, like right up without even like, they just come straight to my mind. I'm like, that mm-hmm. makes me sad. You know, when all this news came out about all the abuse going on, like the Weinstein, 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 Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. stuff, and that with women, a friend of mine said to me, think of one, do you have any girlfriends or women friends that you can think of who have not in some way been sexually assaulted? And I'm like, even like I, I go through my list and I'm like, oh, she told me she was, nope. Yep, she was. No, I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, and myself included, you know? And to think that it's hard for me to find a woman who wasn't, it's really, mm. really shocking to me in my circle of women, which they're all pretty amazing. I should point that out. Pretty amazing mm-hmm. women. Yeah, it's, it's astounding. Uh, the other thing that he said was 67% of uh, the abused uh, become addicts. And he said that's such a loss of... Because, you know, addiction leads to uh, poor life and poor decision-making, making, right. uh, poor life skills and so on, and then essentially being a, more of a drain on society than a, an asset. Right. Uh, all that all that uh, talent that's gone, you know, doctors, engineers, potential right. educators that, that aren't doing the thing that they maybe were out here to do on this earth to do because of one event perhaps or more right. of where someone's been inappropriate with them so it's yeah it's real sad real sad and um i'm really grateful to you that you're willing to chat with me about it because you know my show is straight up chat about men's health so i'd sort of go there i just right. go to the conversation without really thinking but 
And I, I understand and recognize that not everybody's kind of comfortable hearing those kind of things. Right. You know, actually, I remember reading the piece that you wrote on your social media for your for that episode where you talked about the engineers and doctors and things that didn't become fully realized. And it just like hit me right in the gut. Like I read that and, you know, it's like you have to suck in your air when you read that, you know. Mm, that's right. That's right. You know, another area you talk about suicide, and I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, through all of your conversations, have you come up with some good advice for people who are close to people who are dealing with depression to keep them from going that next step? Because they say they won't. You know, they say they won't. They say, oh, I would never do They say, oh, I would never do that. You don't have to worry about that. But then you look at out of the blue. Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and, you know, all the people that I'm not even, you know, many people in everyday life, everywhere you look, a friend, of a, a guy that I work out with at the gym, his sister out of nowhere, no one saw it coming, killed herself in the car, in the garage. And it scares me. Like how, what, what's the mm. edge that you get to? And what can you do as a, a someone who loves someone who struggles with depression? Brilliant question. I think it's uh, most often we'll go into solution mode. You know, how can I help fix this for you? Mm -hmm. Which the person who's going through whatever they're going through isn't going to hear that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they all, I think as a very starting point, and uh, I think the first thing that somebody is going through something needs is someone to listen mm -hmm. and a level of trust that they can speak candidly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about what they're what they're going through and as i said you know especially for guys as well because they they tend to hold it back even more than women mm -hmm. but for both both genders uh so somebody just needs to be able to listen without judgment without trying to fix things and if you're a guy and you're trying to help a friend mm -hmm. we naturally go to the solution the fix mm -hmm. and we just need to sit back in that and and listen mm -hmm. uh so I think that's that's one of the key and main things, and um, just to help them realise that they're not on their own. Because what I've noticed is that uh, many people who have suicided are uh, they feel so isolated, and and they know that there's help out there, mm -hmm. but for some reason they can't step out and reach out and ask for the help. Mm -hmm. And and there's so many resources. I mean, there's tradies. We call it tradies over here. I'm talking about builders, carpenters, it's construction okay. work it's called tradies in Australia. Everything, <laughs> everything's short. Everything's short. And Barbie, tradie. Uh, it takes less energy, so I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Going to the bottle that's to go and get some alcohol. The oh. bottle, bottle shop. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I digress. Many of them don't even know what Lifeline is, that you can just call a number and there'll be a, a random person who is trained to listen right. and help help provide you with solutions. So they, you know, they don't know what Lifeline is. So there's great people out there. I've got a guy I'm interviewing in a few weeks called Jeremy Forbes, and he's running a charity which gives out uh, you know, sort of goodie bags, essentially, with information and and. Mm -hmm education around that sort of stuff so many guys don't even know that the help is out there and those industries like oil mining construction farming those guys are probably the most vulnerable because mm -hmm. they are very isolated and right. um, and they're working in an environment in, in an environment that 
makes it difficult to to reach out and open out. Uh, so yeah, providing the providing the the tools to connect with others to reach out is the mm-hmm. next thing I recommend for the person who's going through something. It's I think the key thing that's coming through is negative self talk. That's what sends you down the rabbit hole. Right, is what's going on in the mind. The convent the constant conversation with, with oneself. Right. And one of my guests has talked about anger management and 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 cognitive behavior, and he says that that those thoughts, all that that internal dialogue, you don't have to believe everything it tells you. Right. And and there is that is a neurological pathway. That is a pathway that has been grown through habit. Right. Use, for right. whatever reason. In the gray matter. Not, That's exactly yeah. what. So the brain, the neuroscientist I had on, uh, Lisa Wimberger. That's exactly what she was talking about is how, and she she actually came up with a way through meditation to do what she calls neurosculpting, to change our reaction to certain triggers so that we Mm. don't keep having these same dives down the rabbit hole or whatever the case may be. And um, she's she's used it for seizure, um, reversing seizure disorders and um, anxiety and depression and all these different things. It's amazing. But that's exactly it. It's like if every day... I mean, you can even do this with plants. If every day you tell a plant it's horrible, the plant will die. If every day you tell a plant it's amazing, beautiful, lovely, I love you, and it feels that energy, it's going to thrive. And so we do the same things to ourselves. And here's a little trick. So I've been in those moments. I mean, I haven't, I haven't felt suicidal since I was a teenager. You know, I had this moment of time, and then I had like a, I guess I would say a. Uh, intervention from the heavens or something where I heard a voice that told me basically you're welcome to do that once you're your best version of yourself and then I realized like 10 years or five years later like oh that was funny because you can always get better so I can never do it now got it Um, but one of the things I did because sometimes I'll have that voice and I don't even know where it comes from have you ever had that where you're like who is that even talking in my, not not that one, but I mean the one where you're like, I'm beating myself up. Oh, I'm not good enough. Everyone would be better without me. I keep screwing things up or whatever the case may be. It gets louder and louder. I'm like, mm. where is that even coming from? Because that's not my normal state, but it like mm. blindsides me. Like I'll be all good. I'm, and then just like, who just flew in my head? So my tactic now is I get out a piece of paper and I wrote, I mean, I haven't had it in a while, but at that time when it was getting bad, I wrote it a very specific direct letter about how I know you're not me. And here are the, you are wrong about all these things. And here's what it really is. And you are not allowed in my conscience ever again. And the next time you come in, I'm going to do the same thing if you do. And so it's like, I had to tell it to get out. I had to tell it. We're negative. We are negatively geared uh, generally. You know, right. humans are negatively biased. So right. we're always going to lean that way. I think we have uh, Dr. John Shinnera, he said to me, I don't remember the exact numbers, but he, he basically said we're about 70 to 80% negative right. thoughts in a day compared right. to, to more positive. And so we're negatively biased. That means that we're, we're constantly hearing it. Mm-hmm. And often it's the same thought. So by doing what you're doing there, by writing it down, by getting it out of you, and also understanding and, and acknowledging the fact that it's not true, right? Necessarily, you right. know, it doesn't. It's just a thought. A thought just passes by. It's how we grab hold of it and pull it in and <laughs> right. and, and label it almost and say, "This is my thought right. and this is me." 
It's not true. It's just a thought. So what we choose as our thoughts or what we choose to label on our thoughts or how we choose to relate with our thoughts is something that can be learned and Mm -hmm. new habits can be formed. But you need the tools. And I think a lot of people, because we're negatively biased, we haven't got the exposure to the education, the tools, the mentors, Mm -hmm. the coaches. Uh, we end up in the rabbit hole. And mm-hmm. that's one thing we're trying to change, you know, through podcasting, right. through psychology, through the, sh- the paradigm shift that I think is happening now with mental right. health. I think the I am one is the strongest one too. Do you know what I mean by that? Like um, if I no. say I am an idiot or I am mm. ugly or I am whatever those things are. And so I've learned I've learned to choose the I am's a lot. I don't catch myself in the negative ones, but like I work on health a lot and fitness and I have a long way to go. But rather than say I'm clumsy or I am, you know, not graceful or I am overweight or whatever, I'm like, I'm an athlete. I am an athlete. That's it. And then like everything in me shifts to go to that. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be in the Olympics next year, but if I'm Mm. an athlete, will I, will I treat my body well? Yes. If I'm an athlete, will I carry myself well? Yes. But if I'm all those other things, I won't. So I am has been a really powerful one for me too, even though, because I think, I don't think you can really convince yourself to be happy. Just be like, oh, everything's good. I am happy. The world is pretty, you know, (laughs) that's harder to do. But these I am statements actually, um, they, our body reacts to those uh, physiologically over time. Mm -hmm. Do you find that too? Absolutely. Yeah. I listened to, I was a bit of an insomniac for many years. Funnily enough, it was during those uh, self-medicated years, <laughs> but I didn't sleep much. So I was put onto this guided meditation, just a sleep meditation called Positivity. And he, the fellow on there, he has a Scottish accent, which uh-huh. is quite smooth. <laughs> but I, I fell asleep after 10, 15 minutes. So I just got the guided part about the body scan and then I'd sort of drift off and go to sleep. And that was great. But I'd leave it on repeat. So the whole thing would repeat throughout the right. night while my headphones are in. What I didn't realize till about a year later when I listened to the whole thing during the day was that the rest of the, sh- the meditation was him just giving positive affirmation. Oh. I am strong. I am capable. I am compassionate. All of this. Right. So for two years, I've been feeding this, yeah. feeding this into myself and not even knowing. And, um, you know, I'm not saying it's all about that's all I did. And that was what made me become, uh, you know, better in my mindset. But Definitely helps. Absolutely helps. And someone else said a really important thing to me, which was, would you speak to anyone listening who might have, you know, these kind of negative thought patterns? Would you speak to your best mate? Would you speak to your wife, your loved one, your children, the way we speak to ourselves? Probably not. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And it takes, but it takes a lot of catching. You have to keep catching yourself. At least I find it. I have to catch myself. So I think we should end on a fun, on a fun, uh, uh, note here. So I've got a few very clever questions for you, just for you. Are you ready? I'm not sure I can guarantee clever answers. <laughs> All right. So rather than ask you for some random facts, I'm going to ask you some specific questions. So this here's your softball. You ready for it? Um, what was the last place that you vacationed? Canada. I oh, really? In, I was in Canmore. I lived in Canada for two years in and around Canmore, Alberta, in the mountains. And Pascal and I went back there for a climbing holiday, which is actually where the podcast idea was born. So it's, um, mm. yeah, that, that's uh, my special place in Canmore. Oh, but in the summer, right? Not in the winter. Not in the winter. That was in the summer, yeah. I've spent a couple <laughs> of winters there, which is fun too because it's perfect for snowboarding. But right. uh, yeah, 
summertime. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it scares me in the winter. Even though some people love it, it scares me a little bit. So what is your dream place for a vacation? If you could go anywhere in the world. Hmm. It changes. But right now, it's Japan. I'd oh, like to go to Japan. Uh, I've been to Japan before. Oh, but, okay. Uh, I love the culture. I love the people. I've got a friend who lives there, so it would be convenient because I could drop in on him. <laughs> and but at the moment, it's Japan. It may change from time to time. Okay. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to go and live it back. I'm from the UK originally. My family are there, and like I said, we're expecting. So I'd like to go maybe spend a year or so back over in Europe, maybe mm -hmm. France. Nice. And uh, live in France for a while, yeah. Okay. Is Pascal from uh, Australia? Pascal is actually, she was born in New Zealand. Her father is French, hence the name. Uh -huh. And so there's a strong connection there. And she speaks a little bit of French. She just, Actually, she's pretty fluent in French. Uh -huh. uh, so it would fit nicely and we can live near the UK and I can, you know, take... Mm -hmm. Uh, little one, which we don't know if it's a boy or girl yet. It's currently called Lentil because we don't have a name <laughs> for it at this stage. So Lentil, we take Lentil with us and, and hang out in France. Maybe grape picking, uh, maybe wine picking or grape oh, fun. picking. Of course, like. that's what everybody does in France, right? Everybody does that, right? Yeah, that's that's everybody's job. Yeah, on every corner there's uh, <laughs> champagne grapes growing. Right. And so, how did you end up in Australia? Ooh. Uh, so I'm not sure whether I left the UK in my early 20s because I was trying to escape anything or whether I was looking for an adventure. But mm. I went on a backpacking holiday to Australia. I was in huge debt in the UK. I had about 25,000, between 25,000 and 50,000 pounds debt. Mm. Bad debt, not mm. good debt. And owned a house, sold the house, paid off the debt and and thought to myself, well, you know, I, I knew I wanted to change something. This was a lot of that precipice of change that mm -hmm. I was talking about earlier. And uh, Australia was, you know, easy backpacker, working holiday. So I went and did a year and a half traveling Australia. And that was a coming of age trip. It was amazing. Oh. So I did that, traveled around, spent probably five years traveling and ended up, like I said, Canada, Southeast Asia, New Zealand, and then bounced around, left Canada to New Zealand, lived in New Zealand seven years, became a citizen of New Zealand, so I'm also a Kiwi. And then yeah. Pascal got a job over here in Adelaide, uh -huh. and we, I followed like a good boyfriend at the time does. <laughs> and I love it. What Adelaide's a great, a great adventure. Place. What a great adventure. I love it. I love it's that's how fantastic. it went. Yeah. Um, so if you could travel in time and live somewhere else for a year, would it be back 200 years or forward 200 years? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, can I say both? <laughs> uh, it was an or question, so no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 200 years would make us... Uh, I would like to go forward because I've read the history books. Okay. Uh, I don't know what's to come and I, you know, I always I like uncertainty, so I'd go forward and see what's happening up there, see if the cryptocurrency actually takes off. Yeah, <laughs> and see how climate change is looking, see if we save that. Yeah we fix that um, I think we will I hope we will talking to enough people about it I hope we will um, <laughs> do you would if you could travel to out into outer space or into the deepest deeps of the depths of the sea which would you choose 
I always get a bit nervous in deep water, so I'd have to choose space. <laughs> so I'd rather be in a capsule floating in the middle of nowhere. Rather deep in space, the air, yeah, with no zero air, zero gravity, yeah. Then somewhere, yeah, yeah. I don't know actually. Yeah, no, deep space would be interesting. Again, I've I roughly know what's under the sea, so I'd like ah, to go and check out what's what happening up in space. Gotcha. It's, yeah. All right. Um, so this is my last. Maybe these weren't as clever as I thought they were. <laughs> um, if <laughs> if you could be any animal, what would it be? And it's not just temporary or 200 years ago. It's like permanently an animal. Oh, what would you be? gosh. And why? You'll have to edit this gap because I'm going to give it some thought. <laughs> <laughs> I could sing a song while we're waiting. Shall I? No, I, we, I actually can't sing, so I won't be singing a song. I'll tell you what I would be. I, you want to, would that help you fill some time? Yes, please. Go ahead. Okay. I would want to be a polar bear because... First of all, I just love polar bears, and I they they um, emanate two characteristics that are really important to me. They're very playful, and they're fierce, protective mamas. Mine is going to have a lot less thought behind it, <laughs> and it's going to sound really weird, but I'd I'd like to be a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I almost fell off my stool. <laughs> I, t- I, I told you it wouldn't like, be no. clever. There's very little thought behind this, but I watch them and I see them and I go, "This, okay, they're obviously at risk, but they have so much fun. They have so much fun. They're just waddling around in their little suits all the time. Yeah, they live in they live in the moment. So yeah, why not? Okay, okay. Well, you know that that question has always stuck with me, and here's why: when I uh, in my early corporate days, when I first got into like a management role. They had a big meeting with about 25 IT managers, and I was the newbie. And we're in a room, and the the head, the VP, said, we're going to go around the room and say um, what animal you'd want to be and why as a way to sort of get to know each other. So I happened to be like first. And I said something along the lines of, I'd want to be a golden retriever puppy so everybody would like me. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty much the beginning end of an end of my management career all in one meeting. <laughs> so yeah. I just realized penguins actually they travel thousands of miles every year. Right. So yeah, that, that rings true for me. I think they go from Australia to Canada actually. <laughs> oh, no, there I it goes. I'm kidding. I have no idea. Uh, well this has been a like a really interesting conversation. We went a lot of different places, which is fun. Mm. So why don't we tell people where they can find you if they'd like to hear more of your stories? Sure. I'm on social media. I mean, everybody is. The podcast itself is The Man Bits Podcast. So I've got a website, themanbitspodcast.com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter as The Man Bits, at The Man Bits, and Instagram at The Man Bits Podcast. So you're, all you need to search for is the man bits in Google, and <laughs> you will find me. Uh, and nothing else, nothing weird. We won't find anything. Do, no, weird. It should be okay. Just don't go to images. <laughs> don't go to images. Got it. Got it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's pretty easy to find me. I'm also into, like I said about, we're into property. So I have a Facebook group which I run for property investors and people who who are interested in property and money and all of that stuff. So. I'm building an online course for that, which is to a sort of separate group, but it's um, important, I think, around my goals around financial mm-hmm. education. I want to be in looking at that space as well. Yeah. What do you call that, your Facebook group? Uh, that is P 
Pinanz, which is P-I-N-A-N-Z. Um, okay. But you can link to it from my Facebook page and the Man Bits podcast anyway. So it's, oh, okay. uh, it's a, basically it's like a networking group for property investors. Okay, nice. Is it just for Australia or worldwide? It's for overseas investment in general. Mostly it's Australian and New Zealanders. Okay. But um, I also look at UK investment as well. So okay. uh, not so much US, but it's a networking group. And I think it's just a great bunch of people. Okay. All right. Good to know. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Jane, it's such a pleasure. I think we could do it again and again and again and just have such enriched conversation. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I hope we do do it again. Take care. You too. All right. Bye. It was really fun turning the tables and having a chance to talk with Paul. I'm so impressed with the work that he's doing to help men, to open the conversations, to help reduce the suicide completion. And it was at an amazing time that we had this scheduled right after those two really high profile suicides that were, you know, making us all stop and question like, where am I in that? Am I, how close am I to that? Who do I know that's close to that? And thinking harder about it and having those conversations. So it was really unusually good timing for that conversation with Paul. And I would highly recommend you listen to his show because he brings in amazing experts And he is a man on a mission. He wants to change this story and he wants to open up conversations. And I'm really impressed with that. So thank you, Paul. And thank all of you for listening. Talk to you next time. So are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.